Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. Gary. John, how are you? Oh, I, I'm anxious to get the show going, man. I think this is going to be a good one. Absolutely will be. So let's start the show. Well, let's bring them in. We've got Joe White from Reuters and Charlie Chesbro, senior uh, economist at Cox Automotive. Great having you guys back on the show. Good to be here. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Well, as you guys, I mean, we got a lot that we can talk about, but let's start with this this price war that that's kicked off. You know, Tesla started uh, cutting prices substantially, and uh, wow, has that kicked up a ruckus? So, I guess Joe, I'll throw it out to you first. Why do you think Tesla started cutting prices? Well, I think I think there's a couple of reasons, and I'm sure Charlie may have have data to either say I'm right or wrong. But number one, I mean, they were they were definitely seeing a decline or, or softening in demand. I mean, you know, softening is relative, right? I mean, the demand was, you know, they couldn't supply their demand for a long time. Then it got to the point where they kind of could. And they have big plans to expand capacity. But in China and the United States, and possibly in Europe, but I think mostly China and the United States, they started to see demand slacken. In China, they definitely have more competition in the U.S. as well. And I think, you know, look, Tesla's a very... Um, is a different car company, but they're still a car company. And I think they looked down their pipeline and said, uh-oh, we got to do something. Um, a number of people pointed out, uh, as we've writ- been writing about this, though, that what Tesla did in a, to a great extent was just pull back price increases that they had pushed through in the last 12 to 18 months, you know, pandemic price increases. And I'll bet Charlie is going to talk about that whole phenomenon. I hope he will. But there was that. Um but I do think there's that. I think they they also with the Model Y saw that if they brought it down below fifty five thousand, that that cutoff, they could suddenly get seventy five hundred dollars from Joe Biden. Um, that's not a bad thing. Um, so you put all that together. I'm sure there's other factors as well. The third factor I'd, I'd like to put out there is that so there's the have to do it part, right? And then there's the can do it because their profit margins are 16 to 17%. Everybody else is averaging eight or less. The startups like Rivian are sub zero. And I think they, and you know, I, I really believe that, that, that they are doing a, a Henry Ford moment here where they say, you know what, we've got a superior manufacturing cost, huge cost advantage. We've got a, uh, we've got a compelling product. That, um, why don't we just drive for a share, drive for sales, use our, use our, our cost advantage, our productivity advantage, and go get some market share and or run these other guys off the road. I'll stop there, but I think that's kind of what's going on here. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Charlie, chime in. You know, why do you think uh, Tesla started cutting prices? Well, I think Joe's absolutely right. Uh, it, it's because they could and because they had to. And, and if you look at the sales data, you can see back uh, in the spring of like March and April of last year that Tesla sales just started to, to slow. They just didn't really do much. And the rest of the year, they were fairly stagnant. And it kind of coincides exactly with when when uh, Elon started making all the noises about buying Twitter and, uh, you know, the media getting crazy out there. Um, so it's hard to know whether that had something to do with sales. I think anecdotally, we have heard a lot of folks saying that they're, you know, they don't, they don't appreciate Elon's comments lately. Uh, but it also coincides exactly when the Fed was raising interest rates. So it's hard to know where to put the blame as to what put the stop on Tesla sales. But clearly they, they weren't moving. And I think that Joe's right, that they uh, not only wanted to send a, a message to consumers to come buy our product, but I think they were sending a message to the entire industry that all this talk about, oh, there's going to be e- new EV players and Tesla's in for trouble next year and all this talk. I think they just put a shot across the bow and said, we've still got a fantastic product and we can cut price and we can cut price even more if we have to. Uh, and I think that that's going to be a real challenge for the industry to keep up with that. So, yeah, so Charlie, to what extent? To what extent do you think that this this leveling off that they experienced of sales was predicated on the fact of their not having new product? You know, it's hard to say. Like I said, there's a lot of moving parts around that time of year. I mean, I think more than anything, we have to point to the Fed raising interest rates. I mean, that's just choked off all kinds of purchasing that was going on out there. But clearly, the the Tesla's got an old 
product portfolio. I mean, the Model Y is new, but the Model 3 has been around for quite a long time now. It's getting a little long in the tooth. You know, if you're out looking for a vehicle, a, an electric vehicle at that price point, there's some real competition out there for Tesla. Um, so they're putting a lot of eggs in this uh, cyber truck basket at the end of the year. And, and frankly, I often question that maybe some of the, the moves that Elon's been making lately of sort of embracing red state America and moving to Texas and all this, this talk, uh, that maybe he's playing 3D chess. Maybe he figures that the future of the company is making Cybertruck successful, and I'll be much more successful uh, being a gun-toting red state Texan than I will be a tree-hugging Californian. That's uh, a really interesting thesis. <laughs> I, I, I think you might be onto something. It certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah. So, so Gary, that, what do you, yeah. Gary, what do you think uh, about all this? Is, is Tesla flexing its manufacturing muscles from a cost standpoint? Well, I mean um, – Joe and his colleagues at Reuters had had done a, a good analysis of what vehicle manufacturers are are making on their vehicles, and you know, as, as Joe said earlier, I mean, uh, they're way above everybody in the industry. Um, so, I, I think Elon is saying, you know, I've always been an un- unconventional guy in this industry, so let me do something that is unconventional, and. You know, the thing that I wonder about, though, is is that to what extent is there going to be resistance from people who have been Tesla loyalists who bought a vehicle, oh, I don't know, for Christmas, right? And suddenly they're, they're seeing that, um, you know, the Model Y long range price has been cut by 20%, 20%. And then you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I ate that cost, so well, and you're not you know, going to get is it back this, when is you this... resell the car either. You're not going right. to get it back when you resell yeah. the car. Probably not. Maybe not. Yeah. Right. So you know, we we we've seen that you know Tesla has you know huge loyalty and people people stay with the brand. I mean, this this may end up biting them in the ass in the long run. So what do you guys think that uh, Tesla also did this to inflict pain on its competitors? You know, in China, they've got BYD breathing down their neck now. In fact, outselling them uh, on a total uh, basis. And uh, so what do you guys think? Was it also a calculation to inflict pain on the competition? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think so. I I mean, I I think that that they they, they, mean Elon Musk has been particularly vocal, for instance, in his uh, disdain or his criticism of uh, Lucid and Rivian, you know, sort of talking about how if if your gross profit is in in the negative, it's going to be pretty hard to succeed. Well, he's, you know, a byproduct of this will be to put a lot of pressure on Lucid and Rivian here in the the United States. And you saw Rivian uh, just yesterday, I think, announced they're going to cut uh, 6%, 800% and some people from their staff um, to, uh, to, to, you know, try to stay in the game. and Rivian's, frankly, one of the best positioned of the startups in terms of having cash. Um, but you're right also that the, the, he, in China, they cut prices and he, he's got getting a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure from BYD, from Zeker, the Geely brand that's uh, selling a lot of their new SUV, Xpong, all these other companies. Um, and I think he would, Elon Musk and his people would you know, see them as a problem and would like to see them off if possible, although BYD makes money. So they're not going to be so easy to run off the road. Mm-hmm. Well, and another company I would just throw in there is, is General Motors, and I think it really kind of put uh, a wake-up call to, to GM that they've got to really think about the price point that they're coming to market with with these EVs, the uh, electric Blazer and the electric uh, uh, Equinox that are coming out later this year. I mean, this the Model 3 is going to be competing right with those, and with that big price cut, uh, it's going to be, I think, difficult for Chevy to, to maintain the competition. But, Charlie, what was so interesting that- was – Oh, I'm sorry. What was so interesting, though, was on the on their earnings call, uh, uh, I guess Tuesday. You know, Mary Barra was basically saying, and, and Paul Jacobson, CFO, basically said, "Look, we think we're we're, perfect, we're comfortable with our pricing the way where it's at. We're not going we're not going to act. We're not going to do anything about this. We don't see the need." Um, you know, I I guess I yeah I would say let's see, right? Uh, let's see what we'll happens. See. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. But you know, the market Tyson has line? a voice. The market has. Yeah. A voice what's that, Mike Tyson line about the hold? best? Yeah, what's the best the best plans uh, you know uh, come apart when the when you get when you get hit in the face? I mean, they haven't even really launched the Blazer and and or even the Lyric, which is you know they've built a scant couple hundred, three hundred of those so far. GM's not really in the market yet in in 
uh, in the sense of, again, directly competitive with the Model Y or the Model 3. I mean, the Bolt is out there. It's doing its thing. But I don't think that's what people are really focused on, right? So yeah, let's see what happens. All right. But but what about, I mean, what about the situation? We haven't talked about the Mach-E price cuts. Okay. So, you know, Charlie, why did that happen? I mean, because you know, Ford has basically said, oh, you know, we, we've got this long list of people that wants to buy these things. I mean, why would you need to cut the price? Well, I, I, I think they have to try and keep up for one. And I do think it brings down the price point of the, of the Mach-E so that it does qualify for one of the, uh, the, the base model will now qualify uh, for the incentive. Uh, the I, I think, Joe, you pointed out there's four models, right, that, that qualify. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, Charlie, you're right. I mean, it definitely. It, it it not all, but sort of what I think is probably their could be their highest volume variant. I can't remember what they call it, but it's the premium all wheel drive or something like that. Dips below fifty five with these price cuts. Um, so y- y- anyway, yes, that's that's clearly part of what's going on with them. Yeah, but still, yeah, so, you so, know, so basically, did- Ford Ford has just two versions of the Mach-E that are above 55. There's the California Route 1 all-wheel drive extended range for 57995 and there is the GT extended range for 63995 bucks. Yeah, yeah, but there's the other four are in. Right. But but I look, I think Ford has the same problem or the same um it's probably looking at some of the same factors that were, well, first of all, they're obviously looking at Tesla. It's the, the, the Mach-E is very, is directly, as far as I'm concerned, it's directly competitive with the Model Y. Um, and, and, you know, I think they looked down their pipeline <laughs> and said, Oh, we better be competitive or this is going to not go the way we want. They want to, they said this, the board said this, they want to greatly expand production of the model of, pardon me, the Mach-E, Mach-E, this year, um, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but it's something like they want to be at 170,000 North North America, some larger number to throw in China. I think that's global because they, they said they had been at 80,000 and they want to take it up to like 170,000. Yeah. Well, I got to believe that's both Mexico and China combined. Yeah, but but at any rate, they want to do a step change in production this year. And, and you know, how are you going to do that if you're whatever, several thousand dollars above the benchmark in the segment? Uh, that's what I would think. So how come Ford can rank ramp up so well? And I mean, GM is just dribbling out lyrics and, and Hummer EVs. I mean, they sold 122 of them last year. That is, I, I what the hell's going on? Charlie, you want to take that one? Well, I don't, I don't know much about their, their production plans to say why that is so, but clearly, I mean, Ford, I think just had an early advantage on this and they've been aggressive at moving to EVs, maybe a little bit more quickly. Uh, than GM was able to get there. Uh, but, you know, this next year is going to be real different for, for GM. I mean, it's a tough story right now, but I think they're going to be getting in the game here this next year, and it'll be a much different story, I think, this time next year about having products. That's what we heard at the – that's what we heard from the from them this week, uh, Mary Barra and and other executives this week. I, I and we wrote a story. My Paul Leonard and I wrote a story. I mean, GM seems to be. If you look at their production plans, you know the, what we're able to know about their production plans. They are taking a very much the tortoise approach to this thing. They are not racing to go get big numbers. They are being very Joe, deliberate why? about why? launching. Well. Um, um, I have my here are my theories, and I'll put them out there in, yeah. in hopes that someone at GM will call me to t- <laughs> tell me the truth. Um, my, my theory is one: I think I think part of it is just that the battery production system that they're building in the United States is is not coming together quite as fast as they would have hoped, and I think they've kind of said that. Two: I think that they're trying to work down the costs of their batteries before they start blowing a lot of volume out so that they lose less money. Um, and, um, you know, I think they would rather make money on EVs. They, they certainly have said they intend to make money on EVs. Um, so I don't think they're in a hurry to sell a lot of loss leaders. They want to get their system shake, shaken out, shaken down, up, and, and then start pushing the volume when the domestically produced Ultium batteries uh, are, are, you know, and that whole production system is, is ready. Um, that said, I, you know, I, th- I think that if you gave truth serum to some people at GM, particularly when it comes to the Silverado electric truck and wish they, do they wish they had that out sooner? I suspect the answer to that question is yes, because F-150 and the rest um, have certainly uh, gotten a lot of mind share uh, that uh, they're going to have to fight to get back. 
Jerry, Gary, why do you think they're going so slow? Um, I think it gets back to the issue that you touched on there, John. It's the the manufacturing issue. I I just think that they and I don't know that it's just necessarily just the, just the battery part of this. I'm, right. I'm sure that plays a, a big role in it, but I think that um, they they found some things they didn't expect. And and so 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 let me ask you this, John. So um, Joe and I had been going back and forth about this earlier this week. So during the call, they said that they plan on selling 400,000 vehicles between 2022 and 2024. That's 30 months. Okay. So, you know, you, you you do the division and that's uh, 13,000 and change. They're nowhere near that. Right. So, the, the the question to you is, is that are they going to be able to ramp sufficiently quickly in order to meet that number? I mean, because we 22 is behind us. Was uh, well, you know, you know, My screen froze. Who was that for, John? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Go for so, it. So, look, I, I think they've got some sort of manufacturing problem. I don't think it's just batteries. You know, if you look at the fourth quarter sales of the, the Hummer EV and the Lyric combined, they were delivering like one a day. I mean, come on, what's that about? And mm-hmm. and Joe, I hear what you're saying about wanting to get the cost down and not have a, you know, lose a bunch of money by pumping them out right now. But you've you've got all those engineering costs that are sunk. You've tooled up the plants to make these things. You've got people on the line, you've got suppliers. I mean, you've got a lot of fixed cost right now that you're not earning any return on. And that that's why I find it so puzzling. Moreover, and Mary said this on the call too. They've delivered 2,400 lyrics in China. So clearly, you know, their Yantai plant in China is, it's not exactly kicking them out, right? You know, uh, 2,400 no, cars is But not it's a better than lot. 122. Boy, is it ever. Yeah. You know, the other thing, John, is I just wonder if, uh, you know, with the bolts catching on fire, that maybe they're just taking it slow to make sure. You everything... mean sales wise or you mean the battery wise? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but surely, well, how much is, is how much battery. is that is predicated on the price cut? I mean, because Bolt had that significant price cut, and you know, to get to bring people back after they had to stop producing them, and it's like, gee, what a surprise! People buy things that are affordable. Yeah, more affordable. Well, I, so, I guess I just wonder whether there's something that they've identified, or if there's issues that they want to be real sure that before they start oh, making these hundred thousand you know, right. EVs. That oh, and not right. just them, Charlie, LG. Remember, LG had yeah. to eat most of that recall cost. It yeah. was about a billion yeah. eight. They don't want to yeah. have that happen again. No, but I, and no. I don't know enough about the, the Chinese version of the Lyric. Does that use Ultium batteries? And if so, who's making them? Or are they buying just off-the-shelf Chinese stuff? Yeah, it's a I good question. Know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That, but the, it, I'm going to bet that they're a Chinese sourced battery because I think mm-hmm. that's kind of how it works. Right. Um, but that's a good question. Um, but look, I mean, a GM is GM. I mean, uh, I think three or three months ago or more, last quarter, the quarter before that, they basically said it's going to take us an extra three to six months to get to a four hundred thousand cumulative in the United States. Uh, you know, EVs. You know, than than they had initially said. So. They've seen they've they've seen this coming uh, for a while, but you're right. With each, with, with I mean, let's see what happens in the first quarter and how many of, the, of these vehicles they build. But they're they're getting into kind of a hockey stick thing to get to even the relatively comparatively modest numbers that they've put out there. So, well, you know, well, ideally they're going to have the hockey stick because I mean, my question to to John especially is because he knows manufacturing so well is is whether they're going to be able to accomplish that sudden. Well, yeah. Diagonal uh, increase. Uh, look, you know as much about manufacturing as I do, Gary. But what Mary said on the call, too, is every quarter they're going to boost battery production 20% coming out of Lordstown. So, you know, cumulatively, that, that's going to put them at, if they, they hold to that, that should put them at a pretty good run rate, you know, by the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter and the like. But, uh, yeah, to hit the numbers that she's promising for mid next year, they're going to have to have that kind of hockey stick ramp up. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I read this in something that you wrote, Joe, or not, but it really doesn't matter. But um, that Bank of America came out and said that Ford would have to sell about 33% more Mach-E's in order to make up for what it will be losing as a result of these discounts. Charlie, I mean, is, is that pencil in your mind? 
Well, I think that that makes sense. I mean, they've cut you know five six thousand dollars off these things, so you know it's a big chunk of their margin. So they're going to have to make it up. The one thing I think is important to point out about EVs uh, that and maybe you guys were going to touch on this later, but the Inflation Reduction Act that was signed into law last fall uh, could have huge ramifications for the market this year. And the reason being is that uh, we're all talking about purchasing of EVs, and there's all these issues about qualifying for the seventy five hundred dollars. You got to have a certain level of income, the battery's got to be produced from a friendly nation, and uh, the vehicle's got to be manufactured in North America. There's a lot of qualifications to get that. But if the vehicle is a commercial vehicle, it all goes out the window. And so uh, leasing vehicles can be considered a commercial, which means every lease could potentially qualify today. Like none of the, you don't have to wait for the the nice countries, uh, minerals, and all that stuff. Today, all these EVs would qualify for that 7500 bucks that the leasing company would then be able to offer to the consumer either you know, by discounting the lease. So it could be uh, a very, uh, the, hitting a very important price point for consumers out there that might want to try EVs this year. So uh, is that going to happen, though? Because, as you know, that's what uh, U.S. Treasury has said. It's not set in stone. They won't issue stone, their yeah. final uh, ruling until, until March. Meanwhile, you've got... Uh, Senators like Joe Manchin saying, over my dead body, we, we yeah. wrote this bill to be a made in the USA thing. But then you got the Biden administration with allies, good allies that we need in our health, you know, and uh, the Ukraine war and other issues going, hey, come on, you can't cut us out of this market like that. So what's going to yeah, happen? Well, we're still waiting on the, the IRS's final ruling on that. I think it's supposed to come. But as it stands now, as I understand it, and been talking to dealers, that's how they interpret it, that these uh, EVs would qualify uh, uh, under the leasing. Uh, and as I said, the impact could be uh, substantial. It's interesting, though, that that uh, Tesla, who, you know, the biggest EV provider, they only lease about 10% of their vehicles, about half uh, of the rest of the of the, uh, of the market. So it, we could see that they're going to have to change their strategy as well and get more aggressive on leasing to take advantage uh, of these cost savings that would be coming if, if it all gets approved. Yeah, Charlie, you're raising a really interesting point too. I mean, I, th- I think we've—it's so soon, but I think we have yet to see what the gravitational effect of the of the Inflation Reduction Act incentives and subsidies are going to be. Because you touched on this, you're right. So, commercial vehicles, there's a lot of more of a wide open field to collect the subsidies used by selling a commercial vehicle. And you see GM and Ford and others, um, and, and as you said, leasing. Another thing to keep an eye on, and 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 I think all the automakers are talking about this is the uh, subsidies that are going to be provided for producing batteries uh, in the United States. It's, I, if I got the number right, it's like $45 a kilowatt hour. Um, that's a, that adds up quickly. And again, you're seeing, you know, why, why is Tesla expanding battery production in, in the United States from a, big, a pretty big base? You know, why is GM investing in these Ultium plants? Uh, you're going to see Ford uh, possibly fairly soon announcing another plant here in the United States. I mean, so all of that, and then when you start to do that and the money comes in, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of affects the, the way the companies go to market, right? Because they're going to have this money uh, to kind of put against uh, trying to gain share. Um, and I don't know how it's going to work out. I just know that that money is going to be there and it's going to start affecting what goes on. Speaking of those batteries, you know, there's talk now that GM is looking at cylindrical ones. Gary, what do you think? Uh, What's going on here? You know, they they made a big deal about going with pouches with Ultium, and now they're saying, oh, we're open to anything. Well, I think what they're discovering is the fact that there is a certain efficiency that can be gained in terms of the structural aspect of these cylindrical units. And, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier of taking costs out of vehicles, well, if you're able to use something not only for energy storage, but also for structural rigidity, hmm, maybe I might want to do that. Yeah, you know that Ultium, it, it, it's a very clever design, but, you know, they put the batteries in modules and the modules, you know, go into a pack and the whole pack goes into the vehicle. It's heavy, you know, and, you know, Tesla did what, you know, uh, sell to pack and now you've got uh, Foxconn doing sell to chassis. So uh, maybe that's why they're rethinking it, but... Charlie, as you know, once you set up a battery plant to make pouches or, you know, prismatic or uh, or cylindrical, you pretty much make that. You can't take a, a pouch plant and just say, oh, let's make cylindrical. That That's all new equipment. 
So how long would it take GM to go to cylindrical if it changed its mind? Oh boy, I don't I don't have an answer on that one, but I do know that the the, the battery technology is still evolving, and, and you know in China they're still locking at these solid state batteries, uh, uh, and I know that the you know, Honda and Toyota are still talking about fuel cell batteries. So I think there's still a lot more uh, technology to evolve from all of this, uh, but uh, in terms of how long it's going to take GM to to pivot if they need to, I, I don't have an answer on that one. Joe, Joe, let me ask you this. Maybe you know the answer to this question, but you know, you're talking earlier about the amount of money that can be made from making batteries, right? From you know the the government will give them money depending on the quantity. Is is it possible that this becomes sort of the the new credits that that companies are going to have they're just going to like build a whole bunch of batteries and and just you know have this dough and whether or not they use that in a vehicle is like hmm, doesn't really matter well, yeah i don't know about the last part but but the first part absolutely i mean there's it just seems to be no question that on sh- that bringing battery production on shore and bulking up battery production in the united states to take advantage of these of these um these subsidies is 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 suddenly like the you know job one in the, in the whole industry and you see everybody everybody doing it i mean catl the chinese battery company is um apparently is, as we speak you know the michigan the state of michigan is trying to land a big plant from them you see these other companies but yeah that that i mean and again i think uh, charlie and i were both at a federal reserve conference not that long ago and this subject came up and and it's uh it's one of those things that everybody focuses on the consumer incentive, the 7,500, if I get my tax break or not. These production incentives, the, the, the battery incentive, 45 kilo, per kilowatt hour, um, subsidies for converting existing plants from combustion tech, combustion vehicles to electric vehicles. Um, there's billions of dollars that have been put on the table through the Inflation Reduction Act that off, on the production side, to, you know, to try to draw production into the United States. And, and I, I, these companies are all going to try to grab as much of that money as they can. And, and then what they do with it, right. I mean, that's the question. I mean, GM has been, again, I think been pretty straight up about what they intend to do. They intend to bolster their profit margins that take, take single digit profit margins that they expect on the electric vehicles they're going to sell and turn them into high or, you know, or low double digit margins. They put that on the table and said, that's what we're going to do. How secure are those subsidies? You know, we got a presidential election next year. <laughs> you, you, know, just said, a- you just answered your own question, John. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean- <laughs> you know, and, and this makes me wonder if Ford's strategy is smarter. The money's there right now. Go grab it. Don't well, slow walk this stuff. I, I think, I think, I think. I think there's something to that. I think grabbing, if you're, I don't know, this is me talking, not anybody in the industry, but I think we've seen that if you're, if your profit and loss depends on public policy, uh, you, you are, you are at risk, yeah. you know, that's it. Take the money and risk. run right Take now. The money and run. <laughs> yeah. well, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, we're, we're talking about batteries and, and, you know, General Motors made the announcement earlier this week about that it's investing in a lithium mining company in, in Nevada, and they're going to um, have have the supply here. And and so I, I read this piece that the that came out last August. OK, so it's fairly timely by the U.S. Congressional Research Service. And it was fascinating that it says. EV battery chemistries depend on five critical minerals whose domestic supply is potentially at risk for disruption, lithium, cobalt, manganese, nickel, and graphite. The U.S. Geological Survey designated these and other minerals as critical, according to the methodology codified in the Energy Act of 2020. The U.S. is heavily dependent on imports for these minerals for use in EV batteries and other applications. The U.S. currently mines some lithium, cobalt, and nickel, but it does not currently mine any manganese or graphite. Okay, so then I started looking into the the availability of cobalt. Okay, so cobalt is used in batteries, and cobalt, oh, by the way, is used in, in magnets, which go into, what's that? Oh, that's right, electric motors, okay? So the Republic of the Congo mined 120,000 metric tons in 2021. Russia, Australia, the Philippines, Canada, Cuba, New Guinea, and Madagascar, the other leading sources, 31,000. That's it. The U.S. isn't even on the list. Yeah. So Big are, problem. Are, are, 
Are, are, are we betting on a technology that we're perhaps going to be completely resource constrained if it takes off the way people suggest yeah, it will? It, yes. And then the, the Pope came out <laughs> yesterday and said, don't mind all this stuff out of the Congo. Yeah. No. All, yeah. Yes. I mean, we, I mean, we're, I mean, and, and the, the fact, I, NPR had a whole big thing about, about, about the, the terrible conditions that uh, under which cobalt is mined in Congo and the exploitation of, of yeah. people who do that. It's, I mean, it's, I'm not making light of it. It's a serious issue and it's a, but it's a serious issue for the, the industry, right? I mean, as, as well. And I mean, there's, yes, all of the things you said, and of course, then you talk about a lot of these minerals, a lot of that is not, not, work you'd want to have done next to your house. And it's mostly, and a lot of it is done in China, maybe mostly. So this is a, it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah it's a big, it's a, it's a big issue. And I, and I think as an industry, we haven't really thought about the, the long-term consequences of just replacing Saudi oil and our dependency on that uh, with having to import these precious metals from, from other countries. I, it does seem like it's a crazy uh, public policy to be approaching this, but I think as the industry is planning forward, they have to just assume that this stuff is going to be there. I don't know how Ford and GM and any of these companies, you know, they can't get into uh, the political ramifications of what's going on in the Congo. They just got to fo- focus on what's going to, are the materials going to be there that they're going to need? Well, look, you, we know for a fact, I mean, they're all focused on how do you take cobalt out of the battery, right? I, I believe it's in the cathode. The cathode accounts for 50% right. of the cost of a battery. So they're hyper-focused on how do you get that, that cobalt out of there. And, you know, uh, there, there will be new mines opening up and they may not all be in the United States, but they will be with uh, allies of the U S with which it has free trade agreements. So they'll be able to qualify that for the IRA money. Yeah. I'm just wondering, it almost seems to me that this is, this is like, okay, let's, let's say that you had a special material to make lug nuts with. Right. And, and there was only a limited amount of the special lug nut material. And people are saying, we're going to go forward and we're going to make millions and millions of cars, but you know, we don't necessarily know whether we're going to have that lug nut material. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. Let's build those yeah. factories. No, yeah. I think that, look, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the challenge, certainly near term. I mean, it takes, I mean, John, you're right. I mean, there's lots of effort and apparently an investment going into mining, you know, developing mines for these critical materials in places that, that are not as problematic as Congo or, 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 um, or other locations. But the problem is that takes a lot of time. And in the meantime, you've got to spike in materials prices because of rel- relative scarcity, um, which is coming at the exact wrong time. Back to what we started talking about at the beginning of the show. If you're going to have a price war and your input costs are surging because of scarcity, which seems to be what's happening, uh, that's, a, that's a rough recipe. And I think that's what the industry's got to struggle with now. Okay, we we got to take a quick commercial break right now, but I'm going to come back at you guys. I got a question about is Tesla going to have to do more price cuts? But first, a message from our sponsor. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on what roads? It's their hydro-track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is their Bridgestone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, we're back. And so what do you guys think? I mean, is, you know, we know that Tesla's getting a big bump in sales right now because it cut its prices. But is this just a sugar high that's going to wear off sometime later this year? Is it going to have to initiate additional price cuts? 
So, well, so, I think so let me let me cheat here. Yeah. Joe, I found your figures that you guys calculated. So the, these are from your um um the net profit numbers. And so you have Tesla making uh nine thousand five hundred and seventy-four bucks per vehicle, GM making twenty one hundred and fifty dollars per vehicle, and Ford making seven hundred and sixty-two dollars per vehicle. Now I don't know if the Tesla number is before the price cut or not. That's before. It was before Okay. So e- even even taking the price cuts out. They got a lot of, lot of headroom there. Yeah, they have a lot of headroom. They have a lot of headroom, and they don't have to give it all away. Um, but they've got a lot of headroom. Uh, but again, I mean, I know Charlie's talked about this. I mean, there, this this comes at a time when there's a lot of concern just in general in the industry about affordability, right? I mean, you know, and I think that you know Tesla Tesla's playing to an affluent clientele, but even affluent people are, you know, we're starting to kind of get headaches and and you know go go faint looking at these prices so i mean i do think there's pressure there's going to be pressure across the whole industry to kind of recalibrate somehow and tesla's got the wherewithal to do that without putting themselves you know in, a, in putting themselves in the red so you know that's what they're up to so where does that leave everyone else you know i'm, I'm looking at uh what neo in china said we're not going to cut prices and shipung said we're not going to cut prices and they saw big sales drops last month. Neo was down twelve percent. Shipung was down sixty percent. I mean, uh, how how much can these guys hold to their their promises that they're not going to cut prices, or do they do something else, some sort of other incentive that effectively cuts them? Well, you know, the EVs are a very niche segment still in the in the U.S. market, right? I mean, it's still there's only a couple of vehicles to even choose from to, to buy an EV unless you're willing to spend, you know, big, big money. Uh, so it's a very competitive segment, but it's still a very small portion of the overall market. I think the broader market is still facing very significant pricing pressures as well, but it's very specific to each brand. You can't, the whole industry may have seen inventory much better, but some brands are still looking at extremely tight inventories. Most of your Asian manufacturers are still looking at incredibly tight inventories. While the Detroit Three are, you know, essentially back to days of supply numbers, back to pre-COVID levels, it, it seems like many of them. Um, so I think the EV segment is going to have its own pricing issues, uh, and I think there is pressure to try and keep up with whatever Tesla is doing for the EVs. For everybody else, it's going to be a free for all this year, and I think we're going to see uh, the Detroit Three having to start getting real aggressive on cutting and, and discounting and zero percent financing, and I think you're going to see the uh, the Asian manufacturers sitting tight and seeing can we how long can we stay lean and mean or do are we going to have to cut price as well to, or if we're losing a lot of market share and that's certainly what we're going to be looking at here through the course of the year yeah i saw i i was watching uh i was watching 1923 the uh the yellowstone prequel drama uh which is you know very much aimed at kind of a heartland audience um and and all of a sudden they take a break and there's an ad for the ram truck uh with a three thousand dollar cash rebate splashed across the screen and i thought oh my god and what you know where's my calendar what year am i in um i'm having a covid flashback <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm in 1923 1983 um but at any rate i was like oh this, uh, something's different because that that you didn't see those six 12 months ago now you do something's going on right i mean that's that's that caught my attention so so charlie why why is that the case i mean are, are they just not having people buy these that that people are beginning to be resistant to high high prices or you know or is it like oh gee the factories the factories open we got chips let's make vehicles well i think it's a little bit of both right i mean uh, you know the detroit 3 were hit really hard and early with the inventory crisis back in 2021 uh, the asian manufacturers were maybe hit a little bit later but then they're still dealing with it while the detroit 3 appear to have come out of it or at least are a large way out of it and it does seem like uh, uh, the situation that they're in today is, is they're either going to have to start thinking about cutting production, and that's a very difficult decision to make and not very popular, or they're going to have to start getting real aggressive on incentives. And, and the thing I'm wrestling with is that they've gone through so much pain to create this seller's market, you know, this tight inventory, the, the MSRP is the price to just sort of go back to the way we always did things before, uh, just because things get a little tough out there it does seem like we're kind of giving it a, giving away this, this market that the, the, the Detroit three and, and the whole industry has been able to create with these strong prices. I would have to think they're reluctant to do that. Uh, but we're seeing these inventory levels rise so quickly 
that I have to believe, like just as you saw with that Ram ad, that we're going to see many more of those uh, throughout the first quarter of this year as the Detroit Three are really trying to get those inventory levels back down. And they, we may see that they decide to do some cuts in production. We also know that there's uh, contract negotiations for the UAW coming up later this year. Maybe there's some inventory building for that. I don't, I don't know whether they're thinking that far down the road, but uh, it's certainly something that uh, could be another issue they have to deal with later this year. Yeah, they probably are thinking that far down the road. Uh, uh, that I would think so. Um, and, and that's a whole other show, uh, what's going to happen with the UAW. But I, that, that, uh, when you said that, I thought, yeah, that is probably some of what's what's going on. But, but you know, uh, Mary Barra said they want to have the, or I think Paul Jacobson, the CFO at GM, said they want to end the year at 50 to 60 days supply. And Charlie, I don't know what your numbers are showing you, but I think well, several GM brands are above that level now, We're, right? Yeah, we're seeing that in our day. Buick in particular is way up there and uh, and a couple of, uh, of the Stellantis brands. But but Charlie, you're indicating that, you know, wh- whether the, 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 the Detroit 3 will, you know, shift back to old ways. I mean, isn't isn't the price cut of the Mach-E indicative of the fact of that's the way they operate? Well, as I said, I think EV is a little bit of a, a unicorn out there. It's a, it's a whole new product and Tesla is a really unique kind of competitor and so I think it's hard to make broad lessons of, of a price war going on simply by the, the, the price cuts that we've seen for the two EV pro- or the you know a couple of EV products. Um, I, I do think that for the, the Asian companies this year, you know particularly uh, Kia and, uh, and Hyundai uh, uh, as well as Toyota and Honda, their, their volumes are down big. I mean Toyota had a tough year; they were down 10% year over year. Uh, Hondas had a really tough year; they had a little bit better fourth quarter. But uh, they've, they're, they're very tight on inventory. I can't see them wanting to cut price at all simply to try to keep up, keep up with anything that may be happening on a Tesla EV or a, or a Ford Mach-E. Um, I don't see them in any situation where they need to cut price. They're, they're, they're sold probably a couple of months ahead of time, anything that comes in. So I, we're going to have a very different market this year where each brand is in its own situation regarding its strategy, regarding its position it's in with inventory, regarding what it wants to do with pricing. And I think all we can do is just try to keep track of what everybody's doing individually. Uh, and I think the one thing to keep an eye on is do they cut production to try and address this inventory build issue or do they start cutting price? And, and that we just don't know what it's going to be yet. So what, what do you think when it comes to their electrics? You know, Hyundai and Kia got some pretty terrific electrics, but I got to imagine they're going to have to respond to, to Tesla. Because, you know, their products, uh, I'm not going to say they're head to head with a Model Y per se, but it, it, those those car buyers out there right now have probably got all three of them on their shopping list. Kia EV6, uh, the Hyundai Ioniq 5, uh, a Tesla Model Y, and kablamo, all of a sudden Tesla cuts prices. I, I, are they pulling their hair out at the Hyundai Group? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was a wake-up call that you know. But everybody knew that Tesla had this price advantage, you know, and that and that they've just been raking in the dough. So, you know, I don't think it was a a surprise. I'm sure it was a shock, but I think everyone knew that Tesla had this card to play. They just didn't know when they were going to play it. Uh, and I think it's an interesting time, as we were saying at the start of the show, that you know, with a lot of EV products coming out this year, uh, you know, Subaru is going to be getting in the EV game here later this year. Uh, it is going to be a situation where I think Tesla said we're we're the leader and we're going to stay the leader and we're going to be able to cut price even more to remain the leader. Uh, and so I would have to believe that that Hyundai and Kia are both concerned about that. But as of now, it's still really low volume product. They're probably you know still filling orders from before. Now whether people start canceling their orders if they don't if if they don't match it with some kind of a a discount, uh, you know, we'll have to see how they respond. Uh, but at this point, it, it's still very, it's still relatively small potatoes compared to the whole industry. And that's the thing as an analyst, I'm always like, we're always talking about 5% of the market. You know, there's 95% of the market out there that's, that's, that's still selling as well. Well, Charlie, on that, can I just a beat more on that point? Because I've heard you you talk about this. Um, and, I, and I have to say, I am now kind of officially confused as to the state of play as to the health of the consumer. Because we've seen GM, you know, GM, 
this week, you know, said demand is strong. They had a bang out, you know, bang up fourth quarter. They, they, Harley Davidson, which is not a car maker, but they, they're definitely, you know, but it is a fairly discretionary product. Nobody really needs a Harley Davidson, you know, a hog, but apparently they, they just blew the doors off in, in the fourth quarter and they had a, a really uh, upbeat outlook. Um, that is not consistent with a consumer that's, you know, you know, in agony about interest rates and like shutting the wallet in the safe. So, you know, what do you, what do you think's going on? Well, this was the challenge that the fed had. We had such a robust, fantastic economy that you can raise interest rates, you know, uh, what, 350, 400 basis points and not even put a dent in anybody's uh, sales out there. I mean, it does I think, <laughs> go to the, the strength of what the U S economy is right now. But I do think when people are looking forward, there is concern that, the, the piper is going to get paid and it's going to start happening uh, later this year that maybe we'll see consumers starting to pull back a bit. But I think what we have in the vehicle market is that COVID back in March of 2020 chased out all of the questionable buyers out of the new vehicle market. Anybody that was of a lower income, a lower FICO score, they fell out of the new vehicle market. They no longer are a consumer. And so if a recession comes, these are the first buyers you lose. These are the guys that, that fell out of the market and took us down to 10.4 million back in in 2009, they're long gone. So at this point, if we do have a recession, we've already, we're down, you know, three, 3.3 million from sort of our normal 17 million run rate. We're falling off of a curb as opposed to falling off of a cliff if we, mm-hmm. if we do have a recession, because all that remains in the new vehicle market are the wealthier folks, the folks with the higher incomes, the better FICO scores. Uh, yes, average interest rates are going up, but, but uh, good credit folks are still getting a decent interest rate out there. So uh, the, the vehicle market's smaller, but it's catering to a much more affluent buyer. And that just seems where it's going to be, uh, at least for the next couple of years, until we get this uh, interest rates start coming down again, I guess, to affect that affordability issue. Well, Charlie, let me ask you this. This is I, I was looking at the Cox, your employer's oh, um, 22 car buyer journey study, and it said that 63% of the people who bought a new vehicle paid more than they had intended to, and 48% of the people were satisfied with the price paid, and that number had been 63% in 2021. I mean, are are people souring on this whole thing? Well, I'm sure nobody likes spe- spending this kind of money, right? If, you know, if you're a, a, a Cadillac customer or a GMC customer and you're coming into the market, your monthly payment this year is going to be 45% higher buying one of those brands wow. than it was just uh, prior to COVID coming. So it's a big shock out there for consumers who are coming to the market to looking to buy. Uh, if they haven't been paying attention, they're going to be really surprised when they see what the price of these vehicles are. So I'm not surprised our, our car buyer sh- journey you know, is showing that uh, there is some pushback on that. But as I said, um, we still have a lot of affluent folks in this country Maybe we don't have 17 million of them anymore to buy a vehicle each year, but we certainly got 14 million of them to buy a vehicle uh, each year. Uh, And I think where we're going to get additional sales is whether the industry decides to get much more aggressive on fleet activity to get the the sales volumes up even higher. But I do think there is a bit of a a limit as to how much we're going to be able to do on retail this year because the consumer is being pushed. And as Joe mentioned earlier, I mean, not everybody's got the money. Uh, to go out and, and buy these fifty, sixty thousand dollar vehicles, and one of the more interesting things that we've seen in the data as of late is that we know that interest rates are going up substantially. That what the what the captive financing companies are offering, the, you know, the interest rate is much higher. And so, when you look at how people are financing these vehicles, the share of the market that is cash buyers, so folks coming in and just slapping down fifty thousand dollars cash, has risen substantially. It's now about twenty one percent of all sales up from about 13, 14% prior to COVID. So people are looking at these high interest rates and saying, well, why would I take out a loan for eight, 9% when I can just uh, take money out of my savings account where I'm only getting maybe three, 4% uh, and just buy this vehicle. And so we're seeing a lot of folks are doing that, but there's gotta be a limit to that. Not everybody's got $50,000 sitting in their savings account that they can go out and do that. So this is why we're, we think that as we get later through the year, there's going to be more and more headwinds for the market. And I think the, 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 the relief valve is going to be, does the industry respond by getting much more heavily into discounting? And do they start to respond by getting much more heavy into fleet activity and leasing? Because they pull back substantially on leasing. Uh, and that's a mechanism that they can really kind of uh, 
mess around with to get sales going much more strongly than they are today. Hey, that's a fantastic statistic there that more people are paying cash, but is it actually a higher percentage? Is it because there are more people paying cash to buy a car or is it, the, as you pointed out, the, the low FICA score of people are out of there. So that automatically raises the percentage of people who are buying cars with cash. Uh, well, that's a good point. It may be part of that, but I think ultimately it just comes down to the to folks are decided to no longer finance uh, these vehicles through the captives or some other mechanism because it's, it's such a high interest rate. It's a better investment, if you will, to, to just pay cash for this vehicle uh, rather than keeping it in my savings account. But we know that there's only so many folks that are going to be able to do that. So to, to rest your laurels that that's going to be the potential for, for future sales, that's going to be a real challenge for the industry. Yeah. Charlie, this may be a very simplistic question, but what is the definition of fleet? Well, uh, it's sales to a commercial company, essentially, right, where they're buying multiple units. I think in, in uh, the if it's above five units, I think it's generally considered a fleet sale. If it's under five, it can kind of still be considered a retail uh, purchase at the at the dealership kind of sale. So, so you know, last year and the year before, people were having terrible times trying to find rental vehicles because there were no. Is that the sort of thing that that the car companies would be selling into more? Yeah. So the rental car companies. So when when COVID came. Uh, uh, the industry really, uh, well, they canceled a lot of their orders for fleet because they figured no one's going to be traveling. Uh, and the, the factory shut down. So the industry was okay with that because they couldn't produce these vehicles anyway. When we got into 2021, uh, the demand was back on the retail side and on the, on the fleet side for the rental car companies, but they didn't have any products to sell them because they, they wanted to keep the retail channels stocked and they didn't want to sell these vehicles uh, to the fleet companies. Now we're seeing that inventories are getting back more to normal. We're seeing that fleet sales have really started to take off. The last four months, uh, they've been up substantially over what they had been doing last year. In fact, we just got the uh, the January numbers uh, earlier today, and it was up, I think, uh, thir- over 30% uh, over what it was last year. So the industry is definitely starting to do more fleet, as we had, uh, would expect, uh, because this is their opportunity that they can at least keep sales going. They don't have to cut factory production. Uh, but they can still keep that retail channel lean and mean uh, so that the, we don't see the inventories build and they don't have to, the dealers aren't forced to cut prices as aggressively. And that's kind of the, the balancing act that we're going to be doing moving forward this year. Hey, Charlie, uh, real quick here. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that fleet sales are going to help sales of EVs? You know, Hertz just announced it's going to dump a whole bunch of EVs into its fleet. Is, is that a, a venue that automakers should be pursuing as they, you know, come out with more electrics? I, I think so. As I said, but and particularly if the if the Inflation Reduction Act law does make uh, commercial vehicles qualify for the EV discounts, well, that would be great for the rental car companies because they would all uh, get that as well. Uh, so I, I do think that fleet's a real opportunity, but it's a uh, I think it's a big CEO to CEO handshake kind of a sale that's got to happen because there's a big commitment that has to happen from the fleet company if they're going to take on, you know, hundreds of, of electric vehicles or thousands of electric vehicles, they have to have the infrastructure in place to be able to, to maintain and charge these vehicles. And so I don't think it's a, it's a simple sort of let's do a quick uh, fleet sale that you might do with many other products. This is going to take a lot of, of thinking and long-term planning if, for these uh, rental car companies if they want to get aggressively into, into the EV market. But, okay. but Charlie, so, so, so but fleet vehicles. Think you're, but you, yeah, but you do see that happening. You do see that. You see it happen. I mean, Hertz, yeah. I think you call that Hertz. Uh, yeah, and they put some big numbers out at Hertz, right? 175,000 that they're committed to buy from GM over, I think it's three to five years. I can't remember the exact term. But, um, you know, and GM seems to be cranking up production of the Chevy Bolt. And, you know, that looks, look, you know, it looks like Hertz would be a number one customer for that. So that's, seems like that, that machine is going to start. Devin Domino's. Yeah. Domino's <laughs> is delivering them. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Gary. Well, so Charlie, I was going to say that, okay, so whether it's an EV or it's a ICE vehicle. So it seemed to me that whenever I've rented a car, it hasn't been all that deluxe. It's been functional more than flash. And we've seen over the last year that OEMs have been selling very high trim level vehicles, you know, loaded SUVs, loaded pickup trucks. And so the question I have is, is that A, 
wouldn't the fleet sail be of more utilitarian vehicles and therefore at a you know a lower price point just you know msrp and and two um is is there some sort of you know volume discount that the fleet companies buyers get and therefore that would even reduce the amount of money that the oems would be making well, yeah, there absolutely is a volume discount. You know, you buy hundreds or thousands of these things or commit to buying those. Uh, yeah, they'll give you a nice discount on that. I don't know what those negotiations are, but but certainly th- that does uh, that does occur. And you're right. The industry has been focused on a much more uh, uh, a premium level product. You know, the uh, the limited or XLT version as opposed to the, the base or the XLS version of these vehicles. So I do think that there would have to be some more uh, ordering of fleet so with forethought so that they could manufacture the type of fleet vehicle that would be uh, uh, requested, which would probably be a more stripped down, uh, less bells and whistles uh, type vehicle. Uh, but they're certainly capable of doing that. And, and, you know, most of the fleet isn't just buying what you have in the moment. I mean, it is purchased with forethought a couple months ahead. So I think the industry can adjust uh, for that if, if needed. I think one of the interesting things is going to be uh, with leasing and fleet, is what happens to these used electric vehicles. And um, in leasing in particular, one of the things that I think Tesla has done, and I know another company is talking about doing this as well, but I won't share their name, but they're going to take away that option to purchase the vehicle at the end of the lease. You have to turn the keys back in. And my thinking is, is they're going to try and maintain control over the, over the, the used vehicle fleet to try and maintain strong residuals. And one of the things I just kind of wonder is if you lease a Tesla, you drive it around for a couple of years, you turn the keys back in, Tesla then, you know, turns on all the switches that they do to, to, to you know, that they charge money up front for. Well, they do it now and they've taken that three-year-old 36,000 mile electric vehicle and they've added extended range to it, whatever other flip, uh, switches that they can flip on. They may be able to get full price for that vehicle yet again after, after, uh, after three years of somebody else driving it around. And I, and I think that's going to be sort of the model that they're going to try to go to, that if they can keep flipping these different switches, they can turn an old vehicle into essentially new and get a much higher price point for it. Hey, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up here. We're getting to the top of the hour. And I know, Joe, you got to run to go hear uh, Ford's earnings. So real quick, round table here. Joe, starting with you, are we going to see more of this price war? Is it going to be Armageddon for the rest of the industry? Uh, I, I mean, short answer is yes. I mean, I don't know if it's Armageddon and I agree with Charlie that it's not all, all segments, you know, it's going to be somewhat specific, but I, I, I think, yes, there's going to be more price action. Um, there's going to be more price, act, price cutting, price competition. Yeah, I think so. Charlie, Charlie, what do you think? I think so too. Joe's right. Uh, we're we're going to see some more price cutting, more discounting, maybe try to hide it a little bit, you know, some zero financing offers, things like that. Uh, but it's coming. It's coming. Gary, your thoughts? I think the OEMs are going to be very happy that they made as much money as they did last year because this year is not going to be good for them. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think this price war is over yet either. I think uh, the competition is only just getting going. But uh, Joe, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Great discussion here. This is really good. You know, we'll have you guys back and figure out another topic to tackle the next time. All right. Great. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. Happy and to come Gary, back. you and I will be back here next week. We will indeed. Okay. Thanks, everybody, right. for having tuned in. Bye, everybody. Bye. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the Autoline channel. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.